Welcome to the Betterism Podcast, a learning community seeking out life's unusual lessons from its unlikely places. I'm your host, Glenn Binger, author, teacher, and coach, and I'm here to help spark some collective growth. I hope you'll stick around and teach us a thing or two, but first, a few words from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Turnstile Coffee Roasters. Turnstile is a Jersey Shore staple, one of my favorites here in my hometown, Belmar, New Jersey. Um, They are fresh roasted specialty. They offer a wide variety of beans and grinds from across the globe, Indonesia, Latin America, Africa, you name it. Um, They have an app you can order online. You can call ahead if you are here in the New Jersey area. Um, You can also order online. So if you're not local to New Jersey, you can find them online at turnstilecoffee.com. They offer wholesale, they offer small bags, grinds, beans, you name it. Um, So check them out, Turnstile Coffee Roasters out of Belmar, New Jersey at turnstilecoffee.com. This episode is brought to you by Loud Coffee Press. Loud Coffee Press is a lifestyle brand and a literary magazine for creatives of all kinds. Um, They accept poetry, flash fiction, short stories, and art submissions. Um, And they're always looking for new new artists to work with. They actually also just dropped an inspirational book made specifically for writers. It's called Creative Home. And I can't express how helpful it's been in my own writing process. Highly recommend you check that out. Um, And this is pretty cool. They're actually working on an RPG or a role-playing game called Eight Bells Bluff. They have a Kickstarter going, and they're trying to drop that for 2021. Super cool stuff. Um, so you can find them online. You can connect www.loudcoffeepress.com. All righty. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Betterism Podcast. You know me. I am your host, Glenn. Today we have a fellow writer guest, Cami C.L. Walters, for those of you who follow her. Um, she's an author, writer, owner of the imprint Mixed Plate Press. Cami, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be having this opportunity to speak with you. I'm so glad we could finally finally put a uh, voice to the name here. I know we've been we connected a little <laughs> while ago online. I think it was Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah. you know, we've kind of chatted back and forth. This is the first time we're actually getting to talk, so that's kind of cool. I know it's pretty cool. It's a great community. And yes, you're right, Instagram. Yeah, and I believe it was through our friends of uh, Loud Coffee. Yes, um, Fred and Annie shout out over there that were yes. connected us they're amazing yes i actually think we were published in the same their same um maybe it was issue two issue three of their magazine yeah it's wild to think too they're on like what are they on five or six now seven <laughs> yeah i'm yeah. so happy for them because they've grown so much in that short amount of time yeah. it's a beautiful thing they're amazing um, so I figured we would start off. You had you just put out a book. I know you've written many books, but I figured we would start off with the one you just put out. Kind of talk about where it came from and how it connects to the others, if at all. Branch off from there. Sure. Um, yes, I just published my seventh and eighth books, um, and I'll I'll talk about the novel because one of them is just a companion. But the the novel in the Echo of the Ghost Town was written because I had written um, The Story Stars Tell that came out during 2020. Great 
wonderful thing that 2020 is. And I say that (laughs) with all sarcasm. And um, I was speaking to a person that I love to talk books with. She's also on Instagram. Lavinia is her name. And we were talking and she had asked me a question about one of the characters in the story of Sarcelle. It was a very secondary character. He actually is more of the pro- or the antagonist in the story. His name is Griffin. And he's a he's an antagonist to a foil to um, the main male character, Tanner. And her question, I couldn't get rid of the question. It just kept coming back to me. What why did he seem so vulnerable in this one scene? And so I rewrote a scene from his perspective and I realized I had a story and I needed to tell this mm. very misguided young man's story. And so that's where In the Echo of This Ghost Town came from. It's interesting. I, you know, I feel like I get that same inspiration sometimes where like I'll explore what I thought was a minor or a side character in something and it ends up turning into this massive <laughs> plot that just kind of like <laughs> came out of nowhere. You're like, oh man, that really makes sense. So right. I wanted to touch base because the book that I just put out too is also has a companion kind of connection book here. Yes. Um, I would love to talk about number one, how difficult it is to publish two things at once. <laughs> but number two, <laughs> then also trying to make those two things connect in a way where they're companions, but they don't necessarily need to be companions for the reader to understand them if, uh, if you take right. it that direction. So let's start right. off with the publishing side of it. What what was it like for you to do two at once now that you have, you know, seven and eight books down the <laughs> the experience road here? What was it like to do two at the same time? Um, it's publishing just one book is difficult. Like there are so many uh, basically balls in the air when you're going mm. through this this independent process. And you, I I was thinking about how to edit and get the cover art and all those things, get it off to an editor, revise. And I ended up really um, having to, let's see, how do I kind of alternating between the two projects in order to make sure that I address the needs of each of them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it was very, especially when it came down to the wire, when we got down to proofing and the deadline because the release date was the same day. And so I had to um, kind of push some of those deadlines and it got a little bit confusing, especially when it got down to proofing and finding those little proof edits and those errors and the time started to get away from me. So it was really kind of uh, stressful. But it was also a very good experience because as I'm looking at Mixed Plate Press and looking forward, I realize I can do it. I can publish multiple projects and I wouldn't ever have to do it on the same day again. I could do some alternating, but mm. I did realize I learned something about myself and that I'm able to juggle those multiple balls if necessary. Yeah. And that's very tough to do, like looking at something with the editing eye versus the writing eye and then coupling that with the, the publishing and the marketing eye, you know, the mm-hmm. struggles and woe of an indie author these days. Um, how, what, what was it like trying to, did you, ha- did you have a process there? Was there like a bouncing back and forth or did you have a system where like this one day I did this thing and this next day I did this next thing? Like, how did you specifically manage that, that back and forth piece? I think that's such a good question. And um, I'm going to go back in time a little bit to just thinking about my writing process, because I think 
understanding my own process as a, a human being and how I approach creativity, I think really kind of translated to this in that when I write, I'm working on multiple projects, but they alternate. So kind of in a way I will be drafting one while another one's sitting. And when right. that one's drafted and I know it needs to sit, I'm pulling out a new project to, or an older project that was sitting that needs to be now revised or and then it sits and then it needs to be edited. And it's kind of this vacillation back and forth. And I use that same technique with this. I vacillated back and forth. So when the, in the echo of this ghost town needed to sit, I was working on when the echo answers, which is the companion novel. Mm. And, um, so they just kind of vacillated back and forth. And I think that's why when I got down to the wire, it got a little bit more dicey just because I couldn't let them sit anymore. I had to um, pay attention to one and then pay attention to the other. And they were kind of stacked up on top of each other. So that's when it got a little bit more hairy, but <laughs> it, it worked out following that process. That's interesting. I, I think I've, it's interesting to see and hear about other people's uh creative processes and how they how they process those thinking patterns and thought patterns within their brains too you know i don't i don't want to make this about me but having that that dual publication like launching on the same day and then kind of jumping mm -hmm. back and forth between two things it can be really confusing like i found i found struggles with like trying to follow even just basic character arcs between the two and then having them kind of uh, come back together and like make sense with two different pieces of art, but at the same time, like right. reflecting each other. So how did, how did you overcome that obstacle? Was that something that came out of your system or did you have find yourself kind of doing a little extra editing to make it make sense? Definitely had to do the extra revision and editing. But what I, what happened was initially, if you've read the story starts to tell, it's a dual perspective. So there's the two main characters vacillating mm -hmm. back and forth in that book. And I thought that's what in the echo of this ghost town would be as well. And I, th I thought it would be vacillating between the male and the female counterpart. Well, the book swelled to like almost 190,000 words. And I knew <laughs> obviously that can't happen. It's just too large of a book. And yeah. I realized, okay, it's because the story really is about the male it's not really about the female and so i pulled all of her chapters out and really focused on making sure his arc and his story was very clear and articulated and then i looked at when the echo answers and i thought you know what this is there's seventy-five thousand plus words here and when you're and i know you know this when you're in independent publishing independent authorship you're thinking okay how do i how can i use this as a marketing tool right and that's really what spurred me to write to make sure that her story was i could use it that way so i went back through and i did a really heavy revision to make sure her arc was clear that she had her motivations that her journey was as clearly articulated as uh, in the echo of this ghost town. And I was like, you know, I have a story here. So I just finished it up and put it together. And I think that's something too, that comes with experience, right? Like knowing something yeah. needs a little extra work versus knowing when it is done. That's not something that comes easily. Like, it, you know, usually first time authors struggle with that piece. Um, I know yeah. the first couple of things that I put out independently, you know, it did, got mixed reviews, but like I, I looking back now, knowing what I know now, it's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. that, that's because the character arc wasn't fully complete. Whereas 
now that I'm working on this new thing, I can kind of use that life lesson to kind of apply with a new thing. Um, I right. found for me, it was a little challenging because the, the character whose separate book it was, was, was AI. It was a robot. So it was like really oh, hard to okay, kind of yeah. like, <laughs> it was like, you know, total different, almost a different genre, even though it's related. So I think mm-hmm. understanding, and I guess where I'm going with this is understanding how the the arc system and, and the, the hero's journey, so to speak, kind of work and how they interact with the art form that is storytelling is pretty important. Um, so definitely, definitely. Where where did you gather your your knowledge and your experience of how the the, the background, the framework of telling a story and writing a novel come from? Do you are you formally trained? Are you self taught? Do you have any experience there? I would say uh, maybe a little bit of both. I am a teacher actually by trade. I taught um, middle and high school English literature and writing for over 20 years. So um, I have, you know, an English major. So I had all of those pieces that have allowed me to really study craft and to study uh, the art of writing. And then add to that that I am a voracious reader. And I really can't stress this enough, and I say this all the time. Learning about story is immersing yourself in story. And reading is paramount to doing that. I think the more I read, the more I see structure and I understand certain aspects of story and how they go together. It's just kind of, it's like this perfect storm, right? Of teaching craft and then immersing yourself in craft and then doing craft. It all kind of comes together yeah but it takes time i think i think one of the things new writers and i know i experienced this as a young writer was oh i just can do it and the first time i try it it should be perfect well that's just not the way any practice works right and i think we forget that writing is a practice it is something that grows and gets better over time or we hope it does right Mm -hmm. i you know i um, also a teacher by trade. I have yes. um, middle school. I've taught in high school. You know, I, I, I understand <laughs> how the, um, <laughs> the language of storytelling <laughs> unfolds. Um, and it's interesting that you bring in the, the other side of that and the reading side, because I think that's something I have, I have trouble helping students understand that side of it. You know, so often when we're young, you kind of only see things for what they appear to be right? Like this is writing and this is reading and those two things don't belong together. But I mean, any storyteller will tell, even like filmmakers, right? Like in order to make and and direct a a beautiful film, like you need to know what a beautiful film is first. And you also need to know the techniques that kind of uh, incorporate into that. Um, I think a big piece of that too is not limiting yourself to what you're exposed to to right so like don't always read the same genre or don't always read but the same author i think that's incredibly important because then you get you start to see like how okay this author develops characters this way but this other author does it this way and they both work maybe i can kind of you know blend the two so yes find find your own voice right (laughs) exactly exactly so how do you when you're reading something how do you kind of incorporate your own lens and kind of recognize like the writer trade within the thing that you're reading. Cause it's tough. Like a lot of time you want to sit there and enjoy what you're reading, but then, you know, your writer, your writer brain will like flick on and kind of like, uh, what, what are they doing? How do you differentiate between the two? 
oh, I don't know that I can anymore. Like I, I definitely enjoy reading. So I know that every time I sit down to read a book, I'm enjoying, usually I'm enjoying the story unless it's just terribly written, but, um, or terribly edited, which is what you see more often than terribly written. Mm. Um, the, I think my writer critical analysis brain never turns off anymore because I even find myself doing it when I'm sitting watching TV with my husband, I'm sitting there analyzing the script and the story and how it's coming together. And I don't Let's know see. that I can turn it off anymore. So I mean, I think that's part of that being so ingrained into who I am and my identity and how I think now that it's hard to turn that off. Yeah, I, I feel like I sometimes I feel like I annoy my wife. I'm like, oh man, the character's <laughs> gonna do this. And then like, you know, ten minutes later they and do they it. Do. She's like, Why? Why did you do that? I'm like, I'm sorry, I just can't help it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Same. My so husband will often turn to me and say, Wait, you have to explain that to me. Why did they do that? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Why did they kill off that character? I love that character. It's like, well, I gotta develop some sort of, you know, conflict. You know, it's, it's interesting because you start to, again, it, it all comes back to like knowing the craft. Once you understand how all of those pinpoints and all those dots connect, you're not only able to like tell a better story, but you're also able to recognize a good story when you see it or when you read it, when you hear it, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, how do you pick and choose what you, what to feed your, your brain there? Do you have like some sort of system or are you just one of those people that kind of wa will watch anything and read anything like do you have a filter system there i um don't think i have a filter system <laughs> I, I i okay wait i do i don't watch a lot of tv to be completely honest it has to be pretty good and highly recommended for me to watch it uh because for me tv i feel like it's taking up valuable reading time <laughs> yes <laughs> so, i agree so it better be pretty good and um, so that's one thing I filter and, and that's one of the things my husband loves. So we always will find shows that are really good to, to spend time together watching shows or watching a movie. Um, for reading though, I have always found that there is something to be learned in both good, beautifully constructed um, pieces of literature, um, dense with like imagery and motif and symbolism and illusion. There's so much to learn there, but there's also stuff to learn from very poorly written fiction, stuff that is um, missing the arc or missing character development. Because those, when you pick up on those things, you're like, oh, I could just, I can see what they could have done here to develop this. And then mm. it allows me to go back to my own stuff and think, am I addressing these things? So I think there's something to be learned from anything I can pick up to read. And I completely agree with you that cross genre is absolutely important. There's so much to learn by reading nonfiction and very well written nonfiction as there is any categorical fiction, whether it's romance, sci-fi, um, you know, dystopian. There's just so much to learn. Yeah, there's little like... Um like niche skills within each thing. And I think a lot of times those skills can be brought over into other genres. Um, and that's, you know, it takes practice to kind of play around with those things, but you start to recognize like what makes like, you know, David Foster Wallace, David Foster Wallace and what makes Ernest Hemingway, <laughs> right. Ernest Hemingway. Like you see like their styles. And of course those are two, you know, very generic and cliche examples, but 
you start, you can, you can pick up on those things. The more you expose yourself to as far as, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the sense of literature. Um, and a lot of times too, again, I, I agree with you with the whole like TV taking away from breeding time. But a lot of times I find that even though I'm, it's a different sense and I'm watching something, you can tilt, you can still take away storytelling techniques that like applies to film, but can be applied to writing with a tweak. So I guess, I guess where I'm going with this is how do you find yourself inspired by a different medium in your writing? That's that's a great question. One. um, Okay. So I, I, I'm just, I think I, of myself as a pretty based person, like normal everyday person. And one of my favorite filmmakers is Christopher Nolan. And I know not everybody loves Christopher Nolan. He can be very pretentious and convoluted sometimes, but <laughs> I true. absolutely adore the way he puts together film because whether or not the story is completely on point, there is always something beautifully done about it. Yeah. And so I always feel inspired when I watch a Christopher Nolan film. The other thing too, that the other medium that just... I love music. So music really helps me um, connect to mood and to atmosphere. When I'm writing to tone, there is just something absolutely transcendent in a way when I find a piece of music that corresponds with what I'm writing. And I, so as a medium, that, that medium really inspires me when I'm writing. For sure. Do you have, like you have a playlist do you have like a writing oh, playlist playlists yes i make playlists for every project actually with yeah songs and, yeah <laughs> i do the same thing it's like all right like i had a lot of i found myself writing this this past like sci-fi again we, were, we had the robot character and stuff a lot of the songs were very like mechanical and like industrial mm-hmm. you know trent Reznor kind of vibes and it's like yes it helped it helped me produce what I needed it to do with my character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that cross medium influence and inspiration plays a, a more important role than many people realize. And, you know, right. I, I want to tie this back to what you said earlier about exposing yourself to not just great film works and things, but also mm-hmm. bad uh, bad stories and, and bad, poorly written and or well, like you said, poorly edited. I think being able to recognize what makes something good versus bad is pretty important from not just the audience perspective, but as the creator's perspective. For example, with with Christopher Nolan, the, the movie he put out, was it a uh, Tenet? Came out in like oh. 2020 and be- beautiful <laughs> yeah. movie. But a lot of yes. people put up a fuss because he didn't want to release it to streaming he wanted to do it in theaters because that's he he designed it to be like in an imax experience with all of this sound and intense visuals right and mm-hmm. a, a lot of the audience members didn't really quite understand that they just kind of gave him bad reviews because they they thought he was being pretentious because they oh well you've got to come sit in a theater and watch this movie but you know as somebody who's seen the theater both in theaters and i'm sorry seen the film in both theaters and mm-hmm. streaming at home you know immersing yourself in something like that really made a difference for how this story came out. I was able to kind of tell and pick and pick apart like the things that I would have perceived as bad 
had I only watched it at home and vice versa, right. the things I've only would have seen as good had I watched it in theaters. So mm-hmm. how do you approach something like that when you are crossing mediums and you're using your editing, your critical writer brain, how do you recognize and pick up on something that is good versus bad? So I think this is, is such a great question. And maybe I need to kind of reframe the way that I thought about it. I shouldn't have said bad or good. Like it's so subjective, right? Yes. This right. idea of what's good and what's bad. And I think maybe a better way to describe it would be as something that is maybe inexperienced or a mm. younger artist or someone who's still trying to develop their style and their voice um, rather than good and bad. Uh, but I think maybe it's seeing, like, I think having been right, I've been writing for 20 plus odd years because I was writing way be- before I was a teacher. I just have only recently jumped into independent publishing. So, um, and that's, that's my newer part of my, my, my journey, but having spent so much time reading lots of literature, studying literature, teaching literature, writing both nonfiction, exposition, creative, and um, teaching it, I think you begin to see, well, teaching it, especially you, you see young and experienced choices, right? Mm, and mm-hmm. so when you're reading certain works or, and I can't comment on things watched or heard, I can only comment on writing specifically, you, you see the gaps perhaps in character development, a lack of understanding motivation and a driving need that a character must have in order to propel that conflict forward. Um, just understanding the parts of the hero's journey to understand that, that, that certain pieces need to happen. And sometimes there are gigantic leaps that a younger, more inexperienced writer might take. And that's where the editing comes in, right? It's the editor. Yeah. If they're a good editor, is going to see those holes and help them fill them in. So, I mean, I, I think perhaps it's not about bad writing. It's just about maybe inexperienced writing. Mm. That's a good way to put that, too. I hope I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't trying to provide any uh, excess connotation there. Oh, no, not at all. You're great. I just, you know, I think it's interesting how you phrase that the inexperience piece, because that that is very true. And I noticed, too, like also I'll revisit not only stories that I've written as a kid and then revisit them as an adult. You know, you kind of revise. and You're like, oh, God, what was I was I thinking? Um, (laughs) But also, you know, when I'm reading something like I know when I read a book that I haven't read in 10, 15 years, you know, I, I was in high school or middle school or you know, in my twenties, whatever it was. And I revisit it now at an older age with experience. I interpret the story differently. I pick up on things that I did not know. Right. And I didn't recognize the first time. And I find that that happens with both like consuming a story, but also producing a story. Do can you speak to that at all? Do you find similarities there? As in like process or I'm assuming that's what you mean, like process yeah. from, um, so yes, for sure. There is one of the books that I wrote uh, that I published in early 2020 was um, The Letters She Left Behind. But the interesting thing about that story was that I had written it 15 plus years earlier. Mm. Uh, and um, 
I had, I used it really was a tech, I, it never got published, obviously. It sat in a drawer. It was maybe the third or the fourth novel I'd ever written. And um, I had just finished writing The Bones of Who We Are, which is a very difficult story to write. It's about a young man who is facing suicide ideation. He thinks he wants to kill himself and kind of goes through a Charles Dickens-esque backwards um, timeline to relive all the ways in which he, what his life is, to come to some understanding about himself. Anyway, mm -hmm. I was in a dark place. <laughs> and I needed sure. something that I was a little bit more frivolous and fun. And I pulled that story out just to be like, because I think I was at this low point, having written that story, I was like, I'm a fraud. I have no idea what I'm doing. This is just crap. Excuse, mm. I hope that's okay to say that word. And, oh, yeah, sure. um, <laughs> and I was like, let me look at some of my old pieces. So it was really an exercise. I pulled out the letter she left behind and I read it and I was like, you know, this is, I can see my youth. I wrote it when I was about 20 seven twenty eight and i it was a second chance love story which is strange thing to write when you're still on your first chance love story <laughs> and um i i read it and i was like you know this isn't too bad but i had i had so much more understanding of the world and of life and having taught and having read and having lived more of my life that i was able to go through and revise that story and add and create a care narrative that was so much more fluid than what it was 15 years ago so right. i completely get what you're saying and in my normal process i i think it was stephen king who said in on writing he suggests that you draft the story with the door closed for yourself and then put it away for at least eight weeks and the, the whole point of that is because when you come back to that story you're looking at it through so much clearer eyes you've forgotten what you've written I mean, you have a sense of it that you forget and it is able, you're able to see those narrative gaps or the characters that isn't developed or how to develop it. And so I really follow that methodology uh, of putting my stuff away and taking it back out after a certain amount of time has passed. I find the things that I'm proud of follow that same process. It's something that had sat there and collected digital dust on my, in my hard drive <laughs> before yeah. I release it to the public. A lot of times, like, you know, I'll, you'll throw together like a blog really quick and you publish it. And then you look at it a mm -hmm. couple weeks later and you're like, Oh man, that's a good thing. This is just a blog, you know? <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you start to, you start to recognize how that system fits into your own life and you can kind of you can like you can like apply the life lessons that you're learning to this older work with that new light and still have a similar mm -hmm. message but tell the message or tell the story in a more efficient and effective way yes pretty pretty and wild definitely and i think as uh independent authors specifically i think we many of us get caught up in wanting to move things so quickly that we lose sight of the fact that time is our friend. Time is really, even though it's, we're excited and we want to rush forward through the process, it, rushing is not our friend. Time is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to switch gears slightly since we kind of talked about that a little bit, but Independent publishing is a monster of its own. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think um, 
you know, I've been, I've been doing it, I would say my whole writing career. I know you kind of said you had just recently kind of dipped your toes in there. Uh, How does that affect or at all, does it affect your writing process or is it, or do you find that it's more of like the editing and publishing process that it tends to drive more? Like, is it craft Um, or is it marketing? I guess is kind of the, the boundaries there. I think, I think, um, it's such a big, I don't know. I have this vision in my head of like this gigantic bubble with all kinds of extra bubbles inside of it. Sorry. I'm visualizing, (laughs) (laughs) but independent being an independent author and being an independent publisher to me are the it's twofold but they are completely together like um you can't distance them from one another in Mm. terms of like process and moving forward because in order to be i think a successful independent author you need to have your business hat on and it's not because i think that you look at creativity you think this piece of writing that i'm making is about commercialism i don't think that at all I think that one of the beautiful things about being an independent author is the ability to be artistic and creatively approach writing as an art form rather than through the dictates of whatever traditional mandates are that happens to the traditional publishing world. Right. I have so much more freedom to explore the idea of art, but that does, if you want to be successful at it, if you want to make a profit at some point, if that's your goal, then you do have to have that business mindset as well. So making sure that your book fits within, you know, the parameters of the publishing world so that the industry can see it and say, oh, I know exactly what that is and where it needs to go. Mm. Uh, Because, you know, those are things that you have to also keep in mind. But I don't think... That's why I think that they're together, but they are also, they're like symbiotic in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you have to, you know, especially this day and age where um, because anyone can do it, you kind of have to, again, like have that business mindset to, to move forward. But you also need to kind of like be innovative with how you're applying it. It's It's no longer just, okay, publish a book and hire you know, social media guy to like (laughs) spread it around. Like you have to, there has to be something that grabs the attention. It's almost like that old adage, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, even though we all always do, (laughs) you still kind of have to do that now, but now you have to apply that same thinking strategy to your, to your, to your marketing, to your, your promo. Do you use, do you, do you do this all on your own or do you use third parties for like editing or, or promotion or anything like that? I use um, a third party for my editing, for my copy editing, and I mm-hmm. use a third party for my cover art. Everything else I do on my own. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> well, I think I don't. I, I don't. Th- do I don't think I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it. It's one of those things. Like I feel like they're they're, you know, it's really easy to say. Oh, I could I could design a cover. It's like yeah people can but is it going to be the kind of cover that's going to attract readers like are you do you know your target audience you know right Right. like how do you know like should i pull the trigger should i not do it should i hire somebody 
you know, for $5 that I found on, 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 you know, freelance, or should I like hire somebody who's designed book covers before? You know what I mean? How do you, how do you approach decisions like that? Do you have like a system or do you, or do you always use the same person or the same clients? Like, how do you kind of figure out like how to choose the best people to work with as an independent author? That's, um, I, I like that question a lot. I think it really comes down to understanding a, a few things. One is why you're doing it. So like, I think that if you're an, an, a person who's a hobbyist and you really don't care if anybody reads your work and all you want to do is put your work into a book, print it out and make sure it's on your, you know, via Amazon and put it on your shelf. You don't care if it sells. Okay. Do it any way you want. But it really comes down to why you're doing that. And so understanding your vision as a a business or as as an entrepreneur, and then the mission to get there can help determine those choices that you make. So how you set up figuring out editing or how you figure out who you need for your cover. And I really think it comes down to, for me, it came down to relationships that I've built. So I've built relationships on, in Instagram, really. I followed authors, I followed editors, I followed cover artists, and I really just got a feel for them as people and who they were and what they were doing with their arts. And when it came down to me needing something that I knew had to fit within that upper YA market, I found an artist that I loved and I thought I'm going to ask this person and see if they can give me a bid. Right. So ask for their, and I found a couple more, I think I got two or three bids and my dream one was like, yeah, I would love to do it. And so we've just developed a relationship. And so far I've gone back to her for every cover. Um, And the same with my editor. I, we developed a relationship via Instagram and just really admired one another. And she said, she loved my books. And she said, I would love to be a proofreader for you if you'd be interested in it. And I was like, yes. So it's really kind of just for me been um, about building those relationships. Cause I really think creativity arts and that part of this process is about relationship. It is Mm -hmm. about the ability to be able to talk to somebody and say, I love this. I love what you've done here. It's about that soft place because art is so vulnerable. You have to have someone who is willing to ask you the tough questions and challenge you, but also in a way that meets your ability to hear it. So, and I think that's why it's so important to develop those relationships. I think that's really important is developing those um, and that's, it all comes back to the community. Like we started the conversation off with, I mean, you know, uh, Fred and, and Annie did that really well with loud coffee. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. I mean, outside of just the craft, but the business side of it, like learning mm-hmm. how to um, respect each other as not only like clients and professionals, but like as human beings, as people, because Right. Those those types of relationships, that's where you're going to get the authentic feedback that you that you need to make the project good. You know, right. how do you how do you approach something like that? Is it does it come back to old father time where it's like it takes time to develop those? <laughs> do you have a technique? Is there something you learned maybe from going back to reading fiction and nonfiction? Have, have you learned anything from the business side of it? that you can apply in that regard or are these just kind of 
experiential wisdom pieces that you picked up along the way regarding relationship building yeah I think I lost track okay um sorry that was a wordy you know, wordy way to ask that <laughs> <that's> <laughs> I am okay, a writer okay. I am a writer <laughs> <laughs> well see I, I was able to follow it obviously <laughs> um I think I think one of the things that has really stood out to me about social media specifically because social media has become a crutch in a way but also the life the life raft for an independent artist mm. um, that it isn't about selling and it isn't about um, it is about self-serving. I think to, it'd be, you know, mischaracterized if you didn't say it wasn't self-serving in some way, but I think what I think about social media, I think about it's social, it's emotional. It is relationship building and that really is about putting your best self or the self out yourself out there in a way that really characterize characterizes who you are. Cause I think, I think all of us are um, intelligent enough to sniff out the phonies, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> you can the walk bots. look at somebody's post. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think really about building the relationships, it, it has become about just being yourself and presenting that and then that happens organically so it isn't about check checkbox one two three it's about i treat i treat that community like i would treat it if i were walking into a classroom with my students mm. or with my colleagues like these are people these are all people on the other side of this phone i may not know them i may not have this may be the first time we're talking glenn but i knew you were a human being right, right. somewhere with needs and desires and wants and hopes and dreams. And I think sometimes you, I don't want to lose sight of that every time I pick up my phone and log into Instagram. And so I think that's, I guess that's what I would say I've taken away from trying to make sure that I'm building that relationship is trying to be as authentic as I can be in that forum. Yeah, that's, and it's strangely enough that that comes up on the podcast a lot regardless of what business we're discussing or what you know product or whatever mm -hmm. that is the authentic piece is something that really helps a person and their business ultimately thrive it's like without that piece you you you, mm -hmm. it, you fall apart you know there has to be some sort right. of authentic connection and it's not always social media i mean it tends to be right. social media these days because it's just that's just the nature of our culture right now but you know a lot right. of times it's it's the in-person stuff too. It's sending right. the emails to meet up to get a coffee or a drink somewhere and have a conversation on a real level with somebody before right. you link up and you know you get an agent or you get a new editor or a graphic designer, whatever it is. Right. You know, right. those kinds of conversations that take place before the contract is, I mean, they are so insightful because you get to, see what the person is like that you're about to like you know work with and it's not it doesn't always right. come to fruition sometimes sometimes uh -huh. you have those conversations you realize like all right like this is a cool person but like you know their their work isn't really what i'm looking for kind of thing and vice versa you know i'm, I'm not a great exactly. fit for them but i think right. that authentic piece is incredibly value uh valuable mm -hmm. when it comes to that how does that relate and, and i kind of want to switch gears here a little bit talk about the press how does that relate to like managing and running um, 
mixed plate. Is that, do you find that that kind of the two things go hand in hand or are they two separate entities? Like how does, how does that relate to what it is we're talking about with authenticity? If at all. I think, I, I think there's, well, mixed plate, I, I'm, I don't see mixed plate press as anything but an, an extension of me, if that makes sense. So mixed plate press is in of itself its own entity, but it is me because it's me behind all the decision making. So whether I'm sending out a thank you card or I'm making a cold call to an independent bookseller or I'm um, sending out flyers to my local libraries, I'm not doing that with any less attention to trying to just be my most authentic self um, in approaching that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's a different angle, right? I mean, there's there's right. a difference between, you know, uh, your own craft and making your own art and trying to create something like a novel versus working with somebody else and their art and, and helping right. them bring their idea and their dream into fruition but there's definitely right. a lot of overlap i mean do you do you notice any overlap between the two there that you i mean i imagine as a um, teacher yes. right like you 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 see things you experience things and you're like oh this would help you know this one client i have or this would help my students vice versa whatever it is and what kind of I'll overlaps you do you teaching, witness teaching actually has been so much of an overlap for me in terms of just the skill i gained being a teacher and I think you're absolutely right. Really what you're trying to do is support another human being to uh, develop their best, most authentic thing, right? Their most authentic right. piece of writing or whatever. And as an editor, really that's what I'm trying to do anytime I read somebody's work. It's not about me. It's not about putting my stamp on it. It's about how do I help this person create the best version of what they're trying to make? And how do I help them do that in a way that's kind, loving, and um, you know, supportive? So, right. Really, I think that's that's what that's all about. I definitely second that. Um, and uh, in all honesty, that's where the podcast really stems from: is like <laughs> trying to trying to help people become the best versions of themselves, that their betterisms, but in a way where you know, it's it's not trying to and put me into their shoes it's more of like taking pieces from these conversations and being able to apply them like even I'm, I'm, my hope is that even if someone's out there listening and they're not a writer they're not an author they can still take pieces of this conversation like the authenticity or you know how to develop relationships and then apply that to whatever it is that their goal is and their their dream is i think right. it's very it's very beneficial to learn how to teach something because ultimately if you can teach something, that means you can learn about it, right? The best way to learn is to for teach sure. about something. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, for me, for, it sounds like for you too, it's like writing English, reading, like that tends to be our strong suits, but you can really apply that across the board, no matter what your business is. So right. all that being said, what do you take away from teaching that applies to your art and your craft and, and running the press. Is there any other overlays there? We kind of touched base oh, on a few, sure. but. Yes. Um, I, I, one of the things that has a couple of things actually that has really um, helped me is this idea of project management. So as a business owner, as mixed plate press owner, and I'm, and I'm 
juggling different projects, whether they're my own or the editing and story development of somebody else, I am, I am putting on that planning hat, right? It's the time, it's what's the goal, what, what do I need to do? And as a teacher, that was one of the things that, as you know, we do. It's, yeah. okay, I have this unit that I have to teach. I have the essential questions that need to be met. And these are guiding every decision that I'm going to make and I'm going to backwards plan it. And I have found backwards planning to be absolutely crucial to this project's management as well. So I have a deadline here. I need to get these things done between now and that deadline. Let me plot them on a calendar. So there are mm. all kinds of things that I've used as a teacher that I, I did as a teacher that have filtered over into my running of Mixed Plate Press and as an author. It's so funny. Like I find a lot of times when I'm doing um, editing work with somebody or I'm helping them just develop plot and stuff, even if it's not a paid thing, you know, if they're mm -hmm. not clients or whatever, I find a lot of like techniques that I'm pulling are like just little simple prompt things that I use in the classroom. And it's like, I don't even know if I'm, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm doing it like intentionally. Like sometimes I think it's just subconscious, but it will come out and I'm like, uh -huh. man, that's, I catch myself. I'm like, that's something I would have said to my middle schoolers. I hope this person doesn't think that I'm <laughs> thinking they're stupid. You know what I mean? And it's kind of funny because you, you start to recognize yes. those things. But at the same time, you really pick up and you, you develop your own learning ability in that process. In, in the, mm -hmm. the teaching process, help. I, who was that? Was that? Oh my God. I'm having such a brain fart right now. It's been a long day at work. That's okay. Um, I don't know. There was, there was the philosopher that was saying, like, the, uh, might be Einstein. PJ? Oh my God. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, by teaching something, you learn something, right? You, the best mm -hmm. way to learn about it is to teach it. I think it was Einstein. Like, mm -hmm. if you, he said, if you can teach okay. a toddler, right? And the mm -hmm. idea is to kind of uh, take a complex idea and break it down as simply as you can so you could help somebody develop that. And it sounds right. like that's what you're trying to do with, with mixed plate obviously on a more intellectual level than, you know, just working with a toddler, but how mm -hmm. does that, how does that affect your craft trying to bring this full circle? Like how do you take the things that you work on with clients and then apply it to your own art? Well, I think that um, the deeper we dive into the skills of someone else, so for example, if I am working on an editing project um, for someone who, well, just recently I was working on an editing project for someone who was wanting um, line editing, just no, they wanted copy editing. And as uh, I'm uh, just for clarification, copy is when you're looking at the conventions, right? You're just looking mm -hmm. at the rules. And as I was going through this piece of writing, uh, it was very, very clear that it was not in a space to be copy edited. It was still in the developmental phase. And developmental is really looking at structure. How is the story being told? Is the character arc, to, is it there? And all of those bigger picture pieces in terms of story. So right. by being able to identify those pieces in someone else's work, I can it translates really nicely, I think, to looking at my own work. And I think this is one of the reasons that we see in the world, many editors who are writers and vice versa. And, you know, people who are journalists who are writing novels. And, you know, I think that it's just all those skills kind of go together in a really nice way. Yeah. 
they link up and you know writing is one of the skill set editing is one of those skill sets that get kind of gets like shunned in the mainstream but it's one of those <laughs> skills that like you you literally need that no matter what industry you go into i mean even if you want to be a professional athlete like you still need to understand like how communications work because you're going to be doing like right. post game interviews right. and stuff and like you know you don't want to sound like a buffoon standing up there because that could ruin your whole career <laughs> right well and technically writing is a whole brain process so writing is a higher or higher functioning thinking because you're having to use your whole brain right. to, to create something um, that's often very left, left brain, right brain uh, oriented. So something for example, for you, for example, with your science fiction, like you are bringing in so many different disciplines and so many different skill sets and then writing about it. So I think it's it's interesting that people say, oh, writing, oh, okay, whatever. But it's right. a really difficult skill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's I'm reading Tao Lin's new book right now. He has a book out. It's called Leave Leave Society. It's a novel, and one I think it's one of the, like first lines in it. Uh, he's like talking to his doctor. His doctor asks him what he does, and he's like, oh, I'm a novelist. And the doctor's like, oh, you must know a lot. And then the the narrator is like. <laughs> no, I'm a novelist because I know nothing, <laughs> you know? And I think that was, it's such an interesting line and an interesting concept to think about because like, yeah, it's a, like you said, writing is a whole brain process and it incorporates so many different bits of, of wisdom and knowledge um, mm -hmm. on top of the convention of writing itself. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like as a writer, you're spending most of your time researching things to learn about them in order to write <laughs> about them, right? So you're like constantly right. in this, like this full circle of, cycling of, of learning and, and processing information in a way that you can then turn it into art. What's your, mm -hmm. what's your, um, this might be a loaded question, but what's your research versus writing ratio? Do you have, do you have like a, do you have like, like guidelines for that? Or you just kind of like research things as needed? Um, well, for, for example, this, my new book in the Echo of this Ghost Town, I obviously am not a male and I haven't ever had to live in toxic male culture. I mean, I've had, been a product of it <laughs> and had to experience it, but I don't necessarily make those decisions as a male. So I spent a lot of time reading, um, various books to kind of immerse myself in understanding that perspective. I think I read seven or eight nonfiction books really to kind of get a sense of that and find the the way those various authors the way they overlapped or the kinds of things that would connect to the character that i was writing and his experience and so i don't know that i have like this checklist of what i need to do for research but i just i'm a very holistic person i would say a constructivist and when i need to put knowledge together then i find every way possible to put it together as i need it so that's just right. kind of how i approach it i'm the same way i think fi finding as many dots as you can in order to connect them because mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes you mm -hmm. don't end up using those dots but like they come in handy later you know yeah and sometimes you don't know what the dots are until you yeah kind right of immersed yourself in it right right i <laughs> you, i mean i nearly uh, my doggy heard your doggy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I nearly lost my mind reading about artificial intelligence. I mean, like that is, I feel like so much higher concept than my brain is possibly able to comprehend. <laughs> but like I had to do the research in order to write this mm -hmm. character, right? And I feel like I still mm -hmm. don't fully understand it. But 
I have those dots in there. Like there are dots that I'm like, maybe I could use this in a future story. I'm going to take a break, give my brain a little break here, but those, (laughs) you don't know when those things are going to come back into play. And it's, it's important to kind of like, not necessarily keep track of them, but not forget about them either. Right. And it's interesting. I found that the more I do the research process or I go through these, you know, rabbit holes of researching or finding out new information um those things don't really go away they do kind of sit in there and somehow my brain accesses them it's almost as if subconsciously my my brain knows it's going to need this later (laughs) yeah right right and like i sometimes you're i find myself writing and like the the idea will present itself out of my subconscious or unconscious even sometimes you're just like where did that come mm-hmm. from it works but i'm gonna keep it you know you catch yourself <laughs> off guard it's almost like someone else wrote it <laughs> if that makes any right, sense right right yes it absolutely does make sense so just i mean just to tie this full circle back for the listeners I, the and again we'll talk about stephen king again because i know he talks about this in on writing but it's really important to understand how closely related the art of writing literature and then consuming and reading literature, how closely those two things are linked. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the easier it gets. And it's one of those processes that it never ends. You know, you can, you can continually improve upon that as long as you are intentful with it. You know, everyone needs a good, you know, garbage beach book every once in a while, but <laughs> yeah, you know, that's also not a bad thing because then then you know like what okay what makes the beach book what makes one of these things that you can kind of not pay attention to that people want to read sometimes Mm -hmm. so i don't know a lot of value in that in thinking in both directions not just one especially as an independent author yes i what what you were speaking about made me think about that section in on writing when stephen king wrote wrote about his teacher he had written the um his version of was it the cask of amontillado i don't think it was that one it was his Uh, version of poe it was a i don't remember which story it was but he had created his own version and he was selling them to his friends for like oh yeah yeah each and his teacher cornered him basically and said why do you want to write this crap and he spent all of his time he spent so much of his adulthood thinking that what he was writing what he was creating was crap despite the fact that he was a best-selling author and how much damage that did to him and I I I don't know where I was going with that other than just like this idea that the beach read or what you write or what you were passionate about writing whether it's the romance novel or you know the next dune or the next Lord of the Rings. It's mm-hmm. so interesting how we as artists can sometimes um, take the opinions of others and it creates a mindset for ourselves. And that just made me think about that when you were, I'm sorry, yeah. that was way off topic. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good point. You know, I, I think it's important to recognize that even like the, the legends have that imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. And Stephen mm-hmm. King's, his his personal story and how he became an author is so fascinating. If you, if listeners out there, if you haven't read his book on writing, I highly recommend that book. Um, yes. He was, I mean, it's so funny to hear, like he was a, an English teacher who then, <laughs> you know, did kind of started realizing that like he did have writing talent, kind of 
began publishing and started making money from it and had to use the pen name. So, you know, that whole story. And then you start to look back at like some of his work. I mean, The Shining, right? Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) a novelist that goes crazy. Like that's, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my goodness gracious. That's like, he's portraying himself (laughs) in that, right? You start to kind of recognize like how more, how much more common imposter syndrome is amongst great authors. And then you start to recognize like, oh, I experienced that too. Maybe I am doubting myself. I always think of uh, Stephen King, Chuck Palahniuk is another one that kind of talks about mm-hmm. how, the struggles with Fight Club and how he had to fight oh, different publishers in order to get that. <laughs> oh, one of my all-time favorites. Um, and it's fa- it. It, it's so funny too. Like you know, I don't. Did you ever read the second one, Fight Club Two? I did not. I did not. Um, it was okay, but it, you could tell it was kind of more for the money than it was the art mm-hmm. itself. And I think right. it was you know, in his, it was probably one of those things in his sketchbook that like he needed, you know, he had ideas and he wanted to go forward with it and wasn't really sure. And then someone said, we'll give you money for it. And he kind of said, okay, you know, like it's not, again, I don't <laughs> want to hate on it. Cause it's, like, it's not terrible. I've definitely read worst Palinuk books, but um, I don't know. It's interesting to think that even the greats experience that imposter syndrome and they overcome right. it, you know? Yes, I have this theory. Uh, yeah, it totally is inspiring. It makes you feel like, okay, this is normal and I'm okay to be to sit in this place, in this space. I also have come up with a theory that the act of the imposter system, syndrome is really our art, our artist, inner art, artist talking to us and Ooh. asking us to be reflective of our process and to really dive a little bit deeper into what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And so I've kind of tried anytime I get those imposter feelings, I try to sit in them for a little bit longer and really kind of hone in on why am I feeling this way and what do I need to pay attention to? Use it as a reflection. I love that. Embracing the imposter syndrome. I don't think I've ever heard anyone reflect on it that way. That's (laughs) actually really incredibly brilliant. I'm going to have to try that next time. I'm like in the middle of I'm in the middle of marketing my my book right now, but uh-huh. when I go to sit down to write the next one, I know that that's going to come up again. So I'm going to have to play around with that a little bit. Yes, embracing yes. it. I love that. Tell me how it goes. I will if, if it happens we'll see anytime if my theory soon. Theory is on. <laughs> right. We'll have to do we'll have to do a round two on the podcast for sure. Yes. Um. I think this is a good spot to kind of switch gears here. You want to do those um, rapid fire questions? Yes, let's do it. So I don't, I call these rapid fire by no means. Your answers have to be quick. You could take as long as you want or as short as you want. Totally low key. Um, the first question, probably loaded, especially because we're both writers, but what are you currently reading right now? And would you recommend it to our listeners? Yes, I just finished reading an independent author adult fantasy called The High Mountain Court by A.K. Mulford. She's really big on TikTok. And so I was like, you know, I want to support another indie author and I'm going to read it. Um, And yes, I would. I thought, you know, I think sometimes, and I hate to say this, I don't want to be down on independent authors, but there's some hit and miss. And I really think it just comes down to standard practice like whether or not Mm. things are getting edited or whether things are put together in in a nice form and if artists are really clear on who they are and what they're trying to do so 
it's not, I don't want to disparage independent authors, but it can be hit and miss sometimes. And I felt that this was really well done. I was really proud to be reading her and thinking, you know, this could be right up there with Sarah J. Mass and what she's done with her A Court of Roses and Thorns or A Court of yeah. Thorns and Roses series. And so I was, I was excited by that. Yeah. That's awesome. Success stories like that get, get me inspired and influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, even just mm-hmm. conversations like the one you and I are having kind of bleed into that same realm. But I think seeing the success yeah. of somebody who's in the same boat as us really kind of gets yes. the, gets the fire going. <laughs> For sure. So to speak. For sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, question two. What is your favorite meal to prepare and cook? This could be for yourself, for your friends and family. Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I've had people on the show who are like fancy chefs and they're talking about this crazy souffle stuff. I've also had people on the show who are like, I heat up some pretty awesome French fries. <laughs> so <laughs> the spectrum is wide, but what do you, do you have a favorite dish that you like to make? Um, I have a favorite dish I enjoy eating. <laughs> So my family gets to eat whatever I enjoy eating. Um, and I don't particularly enjoy cooking because it takes away from writing. So um, yeah. <laughs> I like to make meals that are pretty easy. But my favorite, I live in Hawaii. So this may sound a little bit different, but I make some rice, some white rice usually. And then I make a bowl, a big pot of chili. And chili and rice is a big staple in Hawaii. And that's what we eat. Mm-hmm. Very much is. That was one of the best things. When I was out there, uh, my wife and I went went out there for a honeymoon. That was one of the things I was so caught off guard by. You know, I was expecting like, you know, the the traditional stuff, the tacos and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I ordered chili at one of the places we went to. And I was like, this is awesome. It was like so (laughs) low key, but it's like, I don't, I I don't know what you guys do over there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's wonderful. It's such a nice, easy thing so too. Like I feel like. Well, and that's where mixed plate press came from. Is um, really because I live in Hawaii and I'm from Hawaii. Yeah, the the mixed plates, the mixed plate lunch is a staple in Hawaii. You have your rice, you have your main meat, you have usually whatever the salad is. It's usually mac salad, but sometimes mm. it's a green salad if you're in a a more upscale, healthy place. And it's just kind of a mixture of things of all different cultures kind of conglomerating on this plate. And that's where I came up with the name. That's beautiful. I did not put two and two (laughs) together. That makes so much sense. Wonderful. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Um, And then third and final question here. Um, What is one betterism or one life lesson you'd like our listeners to take away today? This could be from the conversation or it could be something else you've just been thinking about pondering applying to your life lately? Yes, I I think a betterism that's um, really kind of hit me within the last six months or so is to really be um, content to sit in the process. I think when I was younger, I was always thinking about the next thing. Like, what do I need to do to get to the next thing? And I, I just want to be a best-selling author already or I wasn't um, content to sit in the journey and it's in that journey that we gain the skills we need to make it to the next thing. Uh, So my betterism then is just to really enjoy that journey and that process because you'll get where you need to go. It just, it needs, you need the journey to get there, you know? Yeah. 
I think that's important for, especially for young people these days. It it feels very much so that you want to rush through the process to get to the the result, to the product. Mm -hmm. And not that the product and the result is a bad thing, but half of enjoy half of what in makes enjoying the the result is is the process that got you there right like that that's where yeah, all the, so the stuff comes from exactly so like for example just a case in point is i for many years in my youth i begrudged the fact that i had to be a teacher and i i mean as much as i have looked back and loved that experience now but those experiences i needed because they have helped me so much now in this part of my journey so right. um and it's really it's just so important to to recognize that even though you might not be on the road that you think you you want to be on the road that you're on is what you need right now mm -hmm. that's beautiful that's a wonderful ending point i would love to wrap we'll to put a little bow on it we'll come back <laughs> for round two when we talk right. about our imposter <laughs> um, Kami, it's, it's, again, it has been absolutely excellent talking today. I'm glad we were finally put a voice to the name. Um, yes. where can, where can listeners find you online? Where can they connect? Where can they check out your books? All that stuff. Yes. I, uh, have a website. It is clwalters.net. Uh, and I blog pretty regularly. I've got a whole bunch of stuff on there. You can get books on there. You can also get the books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you buy your books, maybe your independent bookstore, you probably have to request it and order it to get it from them. But that's always great. Um, I'm on Instagram, cl.walters, and on TikTok, trying my hand the TikTok. <laughs> so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm around. <laughs> awesome. Again, it's been great. I'm incredibly grateful for your time. Um, and I guess Thank we you so will much connect. For the opportunity. Of course. And like I said, we'll have to get that round two going. We'll, uh, we'll connect yeah. again offline and um, we'll touch base. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that's it, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to swing through again. If you'd like to reach out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at medium.com slash betterism. Be better at whatever it is you're building. And remember, friends, stay learning.